We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Thursday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. Today, we got something a little different. We have Old Miss alum and Fort Worth-based painter, artist, Jacob Lovett. A really cool dude, really interesting story. I'd been wanting to get him on the podcast for a while. We are finally, finally were able to make it happen. He's got a really cool story. I uh, was working in the DFW area in marketing. I uh, got caught up in a pandemic layoff realized he had a real talent for painting. And then fast forward a year later, he's opened his own art studio. So we got into uh, a number of different topics. It basically consisted of me of, ask, of me asking very dumb questions about art because I don't know anything about art and painting. But uh, I think you'll enjoy it. He's a really smart guy. Uh, got into uh, kind of his process, how he learned to paint, how he went from a guy that did this as a hobby to having his own art studio and commissioning paintings and uh, kind of just crushing it in general. So a lot of different, a uh, lot of different angles to this, I would say, but definitely a different conversation. But I think a fascinating one. I was going to do an open today on some Ole Miss fall camp thoughts, but I pinch hit on Neil and Chase's podcast uh, for Neil, who was out of town, and we did kind of a late night Wednesday show uh, that's probably right above this or below this on your feed. So I'll hold off and keep that for Mailbag Friday in order not to be too repetitive. So if you're looking for some fall camp stuff, Chase and I did a podcast uh, late Wednesday night that uh, really was an hour of football talk. So we'll just dive in right to the Jacob Lovett interview. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix and an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the industry you guys know what it is at this point you need to go check it out particularly as football season is rolling down the pipe if you want to get back nascar is apparently getting cranked back up if you want to get into that uh, i just got the word from the skybox guys if you buy a nascar package this month uh, you can get 30 percent off or the already 20 percent off you get from using the promo code rippy by typing in nascar so any nascar package you can get 30 percent off by typing in nascar and uh, you might as well go and check it out. They got daily passes, season passes, month-long passes, whether that's sports-centric, all sports. As football season gets here, you want the man to pay you. You don't want to pay the man. And Skybox is the only way to guarantee you will consistently be in the profit 
So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. And while you're at it, go buy LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Rippy Wright subscribers get a 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a start to the weekend. LB's is the best place in Oxford, Mississippi, and the state of Mississippi, for that matter, to get meat. You need to go fill all your grilling needs. He's good. Uh, he can pre, pre-make some Grove stuff. I've had a couple inquiries about that. Greg's got you taken care of there. All kinds of good sausages. Fresh seafood, Lane Train special, Keith Carter special, bacon wrap filet. Uh, Greg's got it going on. All right, here we go. Here is Jacob. All right, here we go. Here is Jacob Lovett. All right, we now welcome on Jacob Lovett, a Fort Worth-based artist, the founder of Musa Creative Art Studio in Fort Worth. Uh, this is going to flex the range of this podcast because uh, we've gone from the heat of hot takes as Ole Miss opens up fall camp in the middle of 100-degree heat in August to kind of transitioning into something outside the box, but I couldn't help it. I was like this, I, I, I got turned on your Instagram page and I kind of started looking more into it. And as someone who knew very little about art, I was like, we've got to dig in more in this the more. I learned about his story. So I'm really pumped to have him on. What's up, man. I, uh, I appreciate you taking a minute out of your day to help us out with this. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on and, um, you know, looking forward to kind of talking a little bit about everything, you know? especially with the uh, season coming up as well as, um, you know, just kind of some different stuff that'll hopefully interest the viewers and whatnot. So appreciate you having me on. For sure. So like, I guess pulling back the curtain a little bit, you and I are the same age. We graduated the same year from Ole Miss. We kind of like, I think knew of each other. Like I knew some of the same, we knew some of the same people through school. And I guess it was about maybe about four or five months ago, I want to say it was like early February, honestly, right when this like podcast and newsletter was starting up, my girlfriend and I were actually at Fort Brewery, which has kind of become a favorite spot of mine over there. Yeah. And I think you and like a couple of guys were sitting at the bar and I was like, shit, this guy looks familiar. I was like, what is going on? I was <laughs> no like, what way. is And like, finally, by the time you had left or we had left, I was like, I know exactly who this is now. And then that's kind of how I got in the internet rabbit hole. Yeah. And my girlfriend, MC was like, yeah, he's an artist. And I was like, that's awesome like that you know that i guess you know in the world of you know everyone's accounting marketing you name it like all of a sudden like artists i was like wow that's that's uh like i wonder how he got on that path and i kind of uh-huh. just started learning more and more about your story and i i figured that's as good a place to any is to start was we both went through the old miss marketing program which could better be categorized as test bank you um <laughs> depending on what you want to make of it, both came out. I'm now, I guess, like using my degree slightly a little bit more, but like, it's such a broad spectrum. I'll just leave that open-ended for you. So that kind of take us through out of school to you getting into art a little bit, because I know it's been a part of your life for, you know, as a hobby, but like take us from school to where you're at now. Yeah, man. I mean, like you said, we both went to Ole Miss and did marketing and everything like that. Test Bank U is definitely the way to put it. Thank you to all the sororities that helped us out with that. Um, don't know if they have those yet or still, but um, hopefully they do because it got me through a lot of those deals. But yeah, getting out of college, I uh, you know had never um, painted before or anything like that. Um, I took a couple of art classes in Ole Miss, but um, you know Art One Hundred One, Art One Eleven, like just electives that I knew that I could get an A in essentially. Um, never took it past anything besides that. So getting out of school, um, you know, I was actually uh, studying abroad in Barcelona for my last class from Ole Miss. Um, didn't have a job, didn't have a resume, didn't have anything. So I was looking to 
you know, get in the workforce without pretty much anything on my resume besides, you know, going to school and, um, you know, going abroad. So ended up uh, back in Fort Worth, was working for a financial services company, doing marketing for a credit card processing machine company. Um, found out that that was not my true calling and was just not an industry that I was really interested in, um, in the marketing space, that is. Uh, ended up leaving like an hour or a, not an hour, um, a year later and uh, went to this place in Arlington called Texas Live. It was basically a mall of bars and restaurants and it was right next to the Cowboys and the Rangers stadium. And, you know, it was fast paced, awesome work environment and everything. Um, ended up doing sales and marketing for them. Um, so I was selling like events, um, getting my feet kind of wet in the event space. Um, I guess kind of career opportunities and my idea was to stay there for, you know, as long as whatever, but then COVID had other, um, change of plans for me. So along with, I guess, a lot of people here in the United States, but we're in the um, same boat on that one. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Everybody kind of felt that one. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, ended up being able to kind of recenter and do everything, um, you know, kind of restart, uh, what I really wanted to do, figure out everything that I was really interested in and whatnot. So, um, backing up about, uh, back to 2018. So we graduated in 2017. I ended up, um, you know, picking up painting as a hobby. Um, basically the genesis of that was, I had a friend that, you know, reached out to me. She wanted me to paint the picture of her late brother. Um, I'd known her my whole life. So I was like, sure thing. And she was going to pay me for it. And I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. So ended up, uh, you know, buying, the supplies, looking up what to buy on YouTube, and then ended up taking a, like a little tutorial on YouTube, just literally typing in how to paint. And um, started out in acrylics, um, did one painting, gave it to them, um, figured it out, and it just felt great. And ended up wanting to, you know, kind of further my education on that. And so I typed in painting teachers uh, in Fort Worth into Google found this guy that was from Albania and he had a studio that was a couple of minutes away from my old house and ended up going there. And I went there once a week for uh, two hours a week um, up until this past year. So about three years now, essentially. And, um, you know, he kind of taught me everything that I know. And, um, you know, he was able to put me on kind of a fast track to gain some confidence, um, and my abilities and everything that I learned on, um, you know, the lessons that he gave me and everything like that, I was able to kind of take home and work on something at home as well. And that really kind of sped up the process of how I got to what I'm doing right now. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And so you, I think that's a really interesting way to, to kind of get into it. And so it's, it's interesting to me, I was reading something that you did a Q and a with the web local website here. And I was, I was reading through that and you mentioned, or actually this was on your website where you said I'd never painted before. And I was like, that is wild. <laughs> so you mentioned you are, you kind of always done art as a hobby growing up, I guess, like kind of backtracking slightly, like yeah, yeah. when was the first time you maybe, was it till after college? Like when was the first time you realized, okay, I'm pretty good at this. And then when did it get like, not slightly more serious because you just outlined it there, but like, when did you kind of have an interest in it along with realizing you were good at it, if that makes any sense at all? No. Yeah, totally. I mean, 
I feel like I've always been kind of gifted a little bit more than others, I guess, in that sort of aspect. Whenever people were doing, you know, their electives, whenever we're in middle school, I would take art classes rather than do the easy A in theater or something like that. You know, um, that's kind of whenever it first started and I was, you know, good at it. So it was easy A for me, essentially. So, but then I always thought, you know, starving artist syndrome, um, the motifs and the cliches about all that kind of stuff. You know, I was like, I'm not going to paint for a living. I'll be poor my whole life. Right. Um, so, you know, went to school and did that. And um, I went to marketing because it was artistic in some sort of aspect. Um, so I ended up wanting to, you know, do marketing because I felt like I was going to be strong suited in that, I guess, scenario or workforce. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, my, my aunt, she was a watercolor artist. My uh, mom was always a talented artist. She used to paint um, or she actually painted a Power Rangers mural on our wall whenever we were kids, just freehanded from a piece of copy paper. So I remember that vividly because, you know, you had a couple of Power Rangers staring at you while you're lying in bed and she did it. I mean, so I think there was some stuff that <clears throat> came, I guess, naturally or more naturally than others. But it really started out whenever I was, um, you know, after school, 2018. And I was able to, there's a Instagram that I posted of my first painting that I did on my own. And then my first painting that I did with my instructor. And it's literally just like night and day. You would think that it would be a, over a 20 period or 20 year period of time, but it really wasn't. It was only a couple months. So it was just kind of incredible to see that leap from what I did before and then what I did with just a little bit of instruction. And um, I think it kind of plays into the fact of, you know, being able to be coached or to be able to do something because obviously a lot of other people that try to do this might not have that same experience, but to kind of go into, uh, you know, just being persistent with it, it kind of comes naturally being able to, um, I guess, recognize that. I think that's a really relatable like story in the sense too, is like not only myself, but like, I think just anyone that's ever sort of followed a passion project and it's become something beyond what you ever probably would have thought it would become. Cause I remember I went to college as a risk management and insurance major. I didn't even know what the hell insurance was, but like yeah. I got to sophomore year and it's like, okay, like you got to pick a major or we're going to stop funding your shit is basically what my parents yeah. like hit me with. So I was like, okay, I'll get into insurance. Like it sounds all right. And I said at that time I started like writing part-time for the school newspaper based on a essay I had written for a comp class that I accidentally sent to the wrong email because I'm sure I was doing it last minute. And of course, I'm sure oh, the yeah. project was late. And I just ended up going to like the school newspaper and they're like, you publish this in the opinion section. And they're like, we'll pay you 10 bucks. I was like, yeah, sure. Like <laughs> pay 10 bucks. What do I give a shit? But like, it, like, see, like seeing something like you're like decent at it and it kind of taking on a life of its own is a really cool thing. And I think like, I'm not even sure there's a better source of natural motivation than figuring out something you're good at and just kind of following it. Cause there's like, like you mentioned like the whole, like all the cliches that come with being an artist. I was the same way. I was like, I'm not going to be a newspaper reporter. Like there's just no way I'm not going to cover sports for a living. Like I'm never making any money at it. And that <laughs> turned out to be true to some degree, but you know, we've kind of found a nice balance of it, but it was really like kind of like, I guess, like life altering is a very like corny way to put it. But once I kind of like realized, okay, I might could be onto something here. I literally like photocopied 
like beat reporting for dummies after I got my first gig covering baseball as a student. In yeah. Like I'm sitting at the photocopier. I was like, this feels dumb, but right at the same time. And like, I imagine like there was probably some of that when you're sitting there like Googling you know, how to paint or whatever. And so yeah. like, was that mm-hmm. moment for you? Because I think that's a really cool way to get into it. Like when your friend asked you to paint the picture of her late brother, at that point, I imagine you don't have enough expectations of yourself to be intimidating at all. But you also want to yeah. do a good job. Like, was that kind of the light bulb moment after you got done with that? Being like, yeah. oh, like I kind of have something here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, that's the best way to put it is that there was really no expectations. She didn't put any expectations on myself, and she just kind of trusted me and um, my abilities that she had seen before, which was I don't even know how she saw any of it. Is just kind of uh, I guess she just remembered back in middle school or high school that I was decent at drawing. So, you know, that was kind of the thing. There was no pressure. It was, you know, for a gift, um, for their parents, uh, for kind of like a joint mother's father's day gift. And I didn't even know that going into it. She didn't say that. So whenever I did that, you know, um, it's a extremely emotional, um, painting as well, because obviously the late brother and everything like that. So I didn't even, that didn't even trigger me on that, but I knew that I was like, um, held like kind of a higher standard to what I wanted to do. And whenever I was done with it, I was like, I know I can do better than this. I just don't know how to do better than this, just based off of the skill set that I had at the, at the time and whatnot. So it was just kind of one of those things you're, you know, a no pressure, pressure situation turned into, you know, figuring out that you had this ability that you never really uncovered based off of the fact that somebody kind of uncovered it for you or pushed you into that sort of scenario. So that was really a blessing. And, you know, to this day, I mean, I saw her a couple of months ago and, you know, I thanked her so much for, I guess, you know, starting this journey for me, Um, you know, whether or not it was her intention to or not it still was kind of the spark that lit the flame and you know kept it going so um you know forever grateful for her doing that and whatnot and obviously uh you know she's just a good friend she never asked for anything in return or anything like that it was just one of those deals that um you know we've known each other our whole life and she just kind of trusted me in it it's kind of interesting so and it had to be gratifying, like giving them something of that personal significance and obviously yeah. being proud of it. Cause you, like you mentioned, you're like, I know I could do better on this, but like, you knew, you knew like you had done a good job, but I think that was a really encapsulating way to put it where you said, I knew I can do better than this. I'm just not sure how. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the idea of like, you mentioned like tapping into something that it's not like you didn't know it was there, <clears throat> but you didn't know like the depth of it and you didn't know how to tap into it. And like you mentioned, sometimes all it takes is a spark. So those next couple months or years or whatever, like you kind of get catch the bug, right? Like it becomes kind of infectious. Was there ever a moment where you, you know, you reached out to your mentor? Was there ever a moment like, okay, like I'm about to walk into this Albanian guy's apartment and like (laughs) almost like karate kid style, like learn all of his (laughs) tricks of the trade and all of that. Like there's, I don't know intimidating is the right word, but there's probably like some sort of discomfort in like, okay, we're about to go out on a limb and really try this. What was that process like in the early days learning how to actually do this? Yeah. I mean, well, first thing was that he basically said, um, you know, I started telling him like what I know and everything like this. And he's like, forget everything, you know, I'm going to teach you exactly what you need to know um, based off of what I've learned my whole entire life. So his father taught him, 
everything that he knew um, since he was, you know, able to hold a brush or a pencil and he didn't let him paint for three years before he could draw like perfectly. So essentially my strength is in being able to execute like a drawing or whatnot. And he taught me how to do that in a more efficient manner and get the proportions right and everything like that using a certain technique called the grid technique. And, you know, it really made sense to me because I was kind of ADD and OCD, um, a little bit and being able to have everything perfect was essentially what I was, um, you know, wanting to do. And that's kind of my style is realism or hyper-realism and to make sure that everything is proportionate and everything is correct that, um, you know, that whole process was so easy for me. It was almost kind of meditative, if you will. Um, and the fact that, you know, we would start in and get two hours worth of work. And I thought it, went by in, you know, 10 minutes, just based off of the fact that, um, you know, he was such a great teacher, um, still is. And he basically said, you know, what do you want to paint? It wasn't like, okay, we're going to do a still, still life or something like that. He was like, what do you want to paint? And the first thing I chose was a pair of boxing gloves. And, um, that was just based off of the fact that I was boxing all, you know, after college and I did a little bit in college and whatnot. And I was like, I think this is a cool picture. Let's, let's do this. So it was something that I wanted to do, um, based off of, um, you know, something that I really liked. And I think in school, um, or any type of other instruction that I know of, it's always like, okay, this is what we're going to learn today so that you can learn how to paint, you know, a couple grapes and, you know, a pair of apples with a blanket. And that doesn't interest me. Um, so the fact of <clears throat> being interested or being interested in the subject matter and then being able to have somebody who can kind of, uh, talk to you about everything. And, um, you know, he was very open about everything. He was Albanian. And I don't think that, um, whenever, you know, I guess like as Americans or whatnot, he had been in America since 1999, but, you know, being, you know, from the U S you kind of keep some stuff closer to the chest, but he basically asked me, you know, about my life, um, you know, who I was, and we got to, you know, become great friends over the, you know, past three, three and a half years now. And, um, you know, he's a great mentor, uh, you know, his kids, he knows how to teach that, but I mean, he teaches everybody from, you know, people who are 90 years old to, you know, six years old. And, um, you know, he was just very comfortable, um, to work with, but essentially going into it, I was thinking, okay, this is kind of a, big investment that none of my friends are doing, but I was also kind of tired of just spending, you know, 200 bucks a weekend at the bar. Um, so I was like, let me throw in some, you know, something that I can actually put to, to use later on in life and develop a hobby that, uh, you know, kind of turned it into a, I guess, a, a career now. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a, like, that was kind of my next question where I was going next, where we, you know, we grow up and we, we both went to, well, it's with Ole Miss, so college in the South. Yeah. And like, you know, you're not particularly in like, I guess like the circles we ran in, like you're not finding any sort of fellow artists. Like it's a skill that you have that no one else has. And not that you like suppressed it at all while in school, but no. like, like, did you ever think like at any point during undergrad, oh, I'm going to start doing to hell with, like, I know you mentioned you did some drawing earlier. Like, did you ever, did you ever do anything with it in college? Did you ever think you'd be doing anything with it? Like art in general, painting aside, yeah. just anything in that space. Well, <clears throat> I would always uh, design our fraternity t-shirts. So that's kind of where it all started. Um, you know, so we would, um, I didn't design them like 
exactly how they were only a couple but i would you know send over kind of like an idea of uh, what we wanted essentially to this company in tuscaloosa and they did a great job with everything and um you know i would design some of the the banners that we would have for our parties or stuff like that and i basically was just kind of the creative director if you will based off of that um going in school and then um you know i would do you know a couple projects and i'd be at the fraternity house and they're like why the hell are you you know drawing these bottles and on this giant charcoal paper while everybody else is studying you know accounting and smoking cigarettes every 15 seconds so it was just kind of a you know a different thing and you know i never was like oh well that's kind of weird or whatnot it was just kind of what i did i was um not you know, not, not like a free spirit or something like that, but I just didn't really let anybody bother me about it. So it wasn't really anything, you know, to, to worry about, but, um, definitely not though. Like I was 100% focused on, you know, being a salesman or a marketing expert for some, uh, you know, dope company, um, and ended up trying to, you know, work my way up the ladder for that, you know, entire time, whenever I was out of school up into the past, you know, year, I guess. So, um, it was just kind of an interesting pivot in, in life, I guess. When did you start going public for the first time with any sort of art to any degree? Because when you're, when you first had the the painting that you gave to your friend, like you mentioned, you know, not really any expectations and that kind of sparks it, but there's also like a reality at some point that sets in, to where when other people are viewing what you're creating or what you're doing, particularly like multiple people, and it becomes like an actual audience, yeah. like there's like a confidence building process to get to that as well, because now it's a whole different ball game. Like, do you, like, when was the first time you went like public with anything? I think I read you commissioned a couple of paintings, maybe through some friends, like yeah. well, how far into the learning process was that? And did you ever have a moment where you felt like shaken in confidence at all? Oh Yeah. Um, I just looked it up on my Instagram and it was on my main Instagram account <clears throat> and it was August 16th, 2018. So almost what, what's that? Three years from now. Yeah. Right at three years. Yeah. So I think I finished this painting up whenever it was like July or something like that. And I was just sitting on it for like a month and, um, you know, it was like kind of, ex- well, not kind of, but extremely nervous to kind of share something vulnerable essentially on, um, you know, social media, like I was never like that, or never, you know, said anything that was kind of personal on, you know, any social media or whatnot. So doing that was a huge, um, not weight off my chest, but it was a huge confidence builder with the, you know, uh, reaction that I got from everybody, you know, saying, you know, very nice things about everything. And then, um, you know, so once I did that, I, that was an extreme dopamine boost, extreme, uh, boost of confidence. So I was like, wow, people like this. And, um, you know, they don't think I'm weird for painting. So it was just kind of one of those deals. And I don't really think that they would be, but it was just one of those things like a leap of faith, like basically saying, you know, Hey, this is what I've been up to for the past couple of months. And, uh, nobody knows about it. It was just a, um, a door opener essentially. So, once that started going and the ball started rolling, you know, I started being a little bit more open and sharing about, uh, you know, upcoming projects and stuff like that. And I really wouldn't share my process because I was kind of um, tied to it. Didn't want anybody knowing about it and whatnot, but um, ended up started sharing like, you know, videos of me 
um, doing like time lapses and stuff of paintings and then ended up uh, getting a few commission pieces here and there just based off of, you know, sharing my work. Um, and then whenever that happened, you know, I was like, okay, I'm still going to this guy once a week. I'm still trying to learn how to do this stuff. So I would need help to figure out, you know, how do I do this nose in black and white, or how do I do this, you know, lace on a sneaker or whatnot. And just basically trying it out and repeating the things that I was learning in uh, my class was really, it was just a trial and error thing. And I've never like, um, essentially had to redo a painting or anything like that because the way that I do it is if you mess up you can just wipe it away or you can paint over it so um, you know I deal with oil paints and they dry extremely slow so if anything that I do messes up then I can just wipe it away or paint over it the next day so that was just kind of another confidence boost was being able to essentially allow yourself to try something if it doesn't look good then to be able to essentially to erase it or cover it up with something else down the road and nobody's ever going to know. So my teacher always said, um, you know, the last thing that you do is the first thing that people see. So him saying that he had a bunch of great little sayings that I can't even remember, but that, that one always stuck with me just based off of the fact that, you know, no one's going to know the first pencil stroke that you put on this canvas. It's really going to be about, you know, the last stroke that you put on the, you know, the canvas. So. Yeah, it's sort of like podcasting. If I say some dumb shit, I can just cut it and we can start <laughs> keep going again. But yeah, that's well, I probably cut a few things. <laughs> so I'm interested. I'm interested in like how when you mentioned like learning your teacher's process and learning how to do certain things, whether it's drawing a nose or black and white, for someone that has absolutely no idea what yeah. goes into that process and how that works, is it like I, I can't even begin to like ask, like I would ask, is it like muscle memory? Like, are you seeing yeah. you do it and repeating it? Like, what is the process of seeing what he's doing, mm -hmm. learning how to do it and then kind of ingraining it in you to where you know how to do it, I guess, regularly. Yeah. So the process that he taught me is kind of a modern classical process of um, it's called the grid technique. So essentially we go into Photoshop and if you don't know how to use Photoshop, um, it's really easy to basically just put a picture into Photoshop and then you press command L on your, or command K. I don't even remember what it is because command I maybe, um, on your Photoshop and it'll bring up a grid and you just size the picture to, um, whatever size canvas it is. And then essentially that's your, um, playbook essentially. So basically we would go in we would grid out the whole entire canvas um to make it whatever it needed to be by one inch or two inch grids and then you would be able to see okay this is in section you know b8 so it's kind of like a chessboard and you're like okay this eye needs to start in b8 so there's only a corner of the eye so i need to just put the corner in b8 and then you just keep going and essentially you just take it box by box and break it down like that. And then eventually you stand back and you actually have, you know, half of a face done. And then you're like, okay, I literally just did, you know, sections A through B or A through L um, and one through 10. And now I have, you know, whatever that is, 20, you know, boxes done of your drawing. So once you do that, you get all the, um, you know, the, the drawing complete. And that's the way I do it. People do it completely different ways. You can do it 
um, you know, with tracing paper, you can do it with um, a projector, um, but that's just the way that I was taught. So it takes a little bit longer, but um, essentially we do that and we shade it all in. So essentially I could just sell the artwork with it just being a drawing, but it looks a lot better, obviously, if you can paint on it. So we do that and then we spray it with this thing called fixative. Essentially that just holds the drawing in place. And once you hold the drawing in place, you let it dry for a little bit. And um, then you put a thin layer of paint, which is 80% oil paint, 20% or 80% oil and 20% oil paint. So oil is the medium that, or the solvent, I guess, that you would use to um, dip your brush in and then you would dip the paint in. Um, so some people think of painting that you just put, you know, some water on a brush and then you put it into some paint. So that's kind of acrylics or watercolors, right? Right. But the oil, it's with oil paint and oil. Um, so once you do that, you cover it all up, um, whether it's the whole canvas or if it's now recently, I've been doing a lot of uh, white backgrounds. So a lot of it's just kind of floating. So I'll only do the subject at hand because there's no point to do the whole entire canvas. If I'm painting the background white, the background's already white. Um, just putting more work on me. So once that's done, um, end up going in with like a rag or a towel or Q-tips even, um, depending on the details. And I'll wipe away where the highlights are. So then it just kind of depends on what it is. So if it's black and white, I might use black oil paint. If it's, you know, like a, I don't know, like a rodeo scene or something like that, I might use just like a brown. Um, it just kind of depends on what kind of base paint that you want. And then once that's all done, then you already have the darks or the low lights essentially from the shading that you did within the painting or the drawing. And then you have the mediums because that's what the paint is. And then you have the lights because that's where you wiped away. So then you have three values that you can work off of. And then whenever you're done with that, you let it dry overnight and then you can get started on the painting. Once you start on the painting, then that just kind of depends on that's where things got tricky for me and where I needed to learn is like, how do I mix this paint? I know that, you know, this color and this color make this color, but how do I make it to where it's a little bit more muted or, um, you know, how do you match your colors? So that's where the expertise kind of came in from him because a lot of people could do, you know, like a black and white painting because everybody knows that black and white make gray. Um, and then the more black that you put, the darker it will be, the more white you put, the lighter it will be. It's pretty simple, but once you start getting into colors and stuff like that, um, that's where everything kind of starts off to being confusing and then you're like, shit, I need some help. And then also being able to use the correct tools. There's some different types of brushes that you would need to use for, um, you know, kind of doing whatever it might be. So like, a a lace might be a different brush compared to a background or whatnot. And then, um, you know, ha having to essentially put a bunch of paint on a background, it's a solid background. You might need to uh, blend that background. So you use a dry brush. So that's kind of getting like deep into it and whatnot, but essentially being able to figure out what kind of tools you need for the job and then what techniques you need for essentially that part of the painting is how it all kind of comes together. So long extended answer, but um, hopefully that makes sense to some people. I might come out with like a little infographic on what I do, maybe even like a YouTube or a tutorial or something like that. If, uh, 
you know, later on down the road, I've thought about it a few times. So if you do that, send me the color part. Cause you're talking to someone with red, green colored effects. So I can hardly uh, dress no myself. Way. Yeah. The, the, the whole color thing, not a great situation for me, but that's why I'm sitting behind a podcast, Mike, and you're creating great <laughs> art. But so as, as, so as you start commissioning pieces, I imagine it's pretty fun because one people are asking to paint stuff, but I wonder like, I've always wondered this is like, do you enjoy obviously commission pieces or what pays the bills? And even when it's a hobby, you want, when you're spending all this time from it, like any sort of side hustle, you want to make some money from it. Let's focus, I guess, on like what you like to paint first, how much of it was in the beginning was you just finding stuff that you like to paint and painting that and putting that on a putting, you know, pin for lack of a better phrase, pin to paper, paint to paper. Yeah. And I guess on top of that, like, what do you like to paint? Like what catches your eye? How did you kind of figure out what suits you? Yeah. So I guess what I like to paint is portraits and objects. So there's a couple artists that I follow that I take kind of heavy influence from. And um, one of them is uh, a girl named CJ Hendry. She's was born in South Africa and she grew up in Australia and now she's a Brooklyn based artist, but she does these insane hyper-realism colored pencil drawings. And basically it's just like cool shit. And um, I was like, okay, this is dope. She did a pair of these giant Python uh, leather uh, boxing gloves. And I was like, okay, I know I can't do that. My first painting, but let me see if I can do some boxing gloves. So I ended up, you know, finding some boxing gloves and, you know, whenever I uh, was boxing, that was the thing that I was most interested in besides painting at the time. So I was like, let me do this, um, see how it works. And then I was really into sneakers um, for a while. And, um, you know, obviously the Air Jordan one, Michael Jordan, he was a, you know, just an all time great. And I was like, that's kind of a timeless piece that I think people would eventually want to buy. So let me just do that. And it was also leather. Um, so I had already done leather. So I felt confident in doing that. And then, you know, I did a Muhammad Ali portrait. That was my first portrait that I ever did. And still to this day, I think my favorite painting um, that I've ever done. And basically just taking notes from an old master, uh, Carvaggio. He did this technique essentially to where the light was so dark that it made you know a shadow essentially just to everything and I really liked his style paintings but I was like I don't want to do you know this old school master's paintings I want to kind of bring it in the modern era so ended up doing that and then um you know a uh, African-American skin tone they have so much more um I guess like pigment that they draw a lot more color as well. So being able to use all those colors, you know, I kind of kept doing that. I was like, I want to do a Tupac painting and I want to do a, um, you know, Biggie painting and did a few more things. And, um, but basically uh, portraits and objects um, are kind of my thing right now. Um, I just recently did a set of revolvers that did really well. Um, I was commissioned those and I really love that. And I've had, a bunch of people asked me to do similar ones and then I'm working on a large um, kind of crumbled up American flag right now as well. So it's just like things that are timeless, essentially. I don't want to do something that a lot of people ask me to paint their dogs or paint their, you know, yada, yada, or their dead grandfather or something like that. You know, I'm like, I want to paint something that's going to rise in value 
And I'll definitely take those um, commissions because it gives me some extra cash. But, um, you know, and at first I was like, I need to do it because I need to pay for this. So, um, but now I'm kind of turning a few things away and saying, you know, like, let me see what else we could do with this instead of, hey, I know your dog just passed away, but um, I don't think that having this painting of your dog is going to be, you know, something that you want for the rest of your life. You might, but I don't know. So yeah, that, that makes <laughs> perfect sense. Cause like, it's funny you brought up both the shoes and the Muhammad Ali painting, because as I was going through your Instagram, those are the first two, particularly, and I knew they were towards the beginning, obviously with the way Instagram timeline works, yeah. like, but those were like awesome. And I'm sure that's like, particularly the Muhammad Ali thing is just like a fan, like it was mesmerizing to me. And I'm sure that's yeah. the highest of compliments after I admitted, I don't see colors very well, but <laughs> like, I was like, Holy shit. Like, this is awesome. And yeah, so like, I, I'm not just saying that because you agreed to do 35, 45 minutes on my podcast. Like, I was like, holy shit, this is great work. And, I, you know, now learning more about it and learning everything that goes into it and probably how long it took you to do something on that level and be able to kind of regularly regurgitate makes it sound like there's not work into it, but regularly produce a piece of quality art on a consistent basis like that. Sure. Like the amount of work that goes into that is kind of crazy. And so kind of taking up your timeline up to speed to now, because one, I'm the world's shittiest podcast host. It took me 30 minutes to get to your Instagram page. It's Jacob Lovett Art 1. Or no, <laughs> excuse me, just Jacob Lovett Art, no one. See, I told you I can't see. Like, <laughs> we'll you should go that. check this out. But as you're kind of coming up to where you are now, you're still working at this time as you're commissioning paintings. You're working a date nine to five, which kind of same thing I'm doing now, like come home, come for work, get on the podcast, write a little bit. Like, it's hard to balance the interest in terms of what actually pays the bills and what you're passionate about. And I know it had to be tempting sometimes to be like, man, if I could just commit more time to doing this, this yeah. being art, like, how did you kind of balance that? And then take us through, I know you did a little bit earlier, but like you get all the yeah. way up to Texas Live, great place. I'm, describing it as a mall of bars was probably like the most perfect <laughs> way to describe it because that's exactly what it is. Take us to kind of how you balance the two all the way up until the COVID layoff to where you're like, all right, let's just do this thing. What was that yeah. like? Um, it was difficult. I mean, being, um, you know, doing a nine to five, we, we used to get off at like 430 or so, but my class was every Wednesday at 630 to 830. So I knew that that was my time to get it done. And basically I was just going once a week. <clears throat> I didn't have really any confidence to do anything outside after my first painting, but on my second one, I ended up doing the exact same Air Jordan shoe, but just in a different colorway. So I basically had two shoes that I was working on at the same time, basically just taking everything that I learned on that Wednesday, going to bed, letting it, you know, kind of uh, sit in my head for a little bit and then doing the same thing on a Thursday night from six to eight 30, I was like, I'm only going to put in two hours of this. And um, then that's it. And then as soon as I started kind of getting some speed to it, um, you know, I would basically be working from nine to five at my job. And then I would come home and work like an hour on a painting and, um, you know, being able to kind of balance that was difficult, especially with, um, you know, I started talking to my now girlfriend at the time and being able to, um, you know, balance that with, you know, my passion as well as, you know, work, it was difficult. And then I was working a second job at the time um, before I met her. So 
um, just to pay for my studio classes. So it was interesting, but I was able to kind of do as much as I wanted at the time, but not as, um, you know, still making it fun, not making it a second job um, at that time at the, the beginning, essentially. But then whenever I went to Texas Live, my schedule changed from, you know, week to week. I might be working on a Monday night because there was a Cowboys game or, you know, on a Sunday because we had a buyout and I had to be there or something like that. And, um, you know, things kind of got uh, wishy-washy depending on what I was going to do. And whenever I um, was laid off, it was kind of like, sweet, now I get to, you know, work on what I want to do. And let me see if I can make some money, some real money by actually taking some time and doing this. And then I started um, my art account uh, on Instagram, dedicating an account to that as well as, um, you know, getting a little bit more commission work done. And so I was like, shit, well, I'm actually getting paid like some decent money for doing this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it was a balancing act with anything really is just kind of, you know, there is no work life balance. If you really think about it, you sleep for eight hours a day and then you get to work for eight hours a day and you know, that's 16 hours. So you get another, what, eight hours a day (laughs) to kind of figure out what to do. And then you got to eat three times. So that might be an hour and you work out. That's, you know, another hour. So then there's four hours left for you to do something. So I was like, all right, well, at least two of that hours is going to be dedicated to, um, you know, what I've, I'm passionate about. I'm still young and everything. So let me try to give this a knock. Um, and then just really kind of figuring out, all right, now I have a little bit more time. So let me dedicate this as if I have a job as to be my own job. Right. So I just kind of, a lot of people sat on their couch, watched a bunch of Netflix during the you know quarantine and getting laid off and everything. And I just kind of went back to work in just a different aspect. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's kind of funny how life experiences kind of at the time where you think, and I know you kind of had a little bit more, like you, you kind of had the painting thing. The ball was more than rolling at that point. So it wasn't yeah. like, I mean, it sucks getting laid off. I was the same no, yeah. it was June of 2020. That's how I ended up out here. But at the same time, like you kind of knew you at least had something and you could bide your time with it. So it's probably not the exact same thing, but it's like kind of funny how like some life experiences can kind of lead you into something better where you think you've hit a roadblock. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, if that hadn't happened, I would never be where I am today. That seems like what happened to you to a T. And I I think about this in the sense that like, and I hate like relating everything back to like what happened to myself, but like every time (laughs) you say something, I have so many like similarities to where like, I always liked the sports aspect of it. And I still like the podcasting. It's kind of fun or whatever, but like I found my niche in like human interest stories and more long form stuff. And like, yeah, this is an insult to art, but like in the lack of a better phrase, kind of painting a picture of someone's life through words and stuff like that. And like kind of where sports was like, I guess like they're how I figured out who these people were, but the stories themselves never had to do anything about sports. And like, I always had this like fantasy of like, I'll start this long form site where I just write about people and shit that's interesting. But one, I never had the audience to do it. I would have gone like bankrupt immediately, (laughs) but I never would have had like, I guess what I'm getting at is I never had the courage to like start my own newsletter, website, podcast, whatever, had this not happened. And so did you kind of sense some of that where you get laid off? And then that takes me up to where we're at today, where you start Muse, the creative studio in Fort Worth, like would you have ever been able to do that had your nine to five kept going? Like, would you have ever been able to convince yourself to just be like, you know what, I'm quitting this and this is what I'm going to do? Because it's almost like the 
the trauma of getting laid off or kind of the abruptness of getting laid off forces you into something because what the hell do you have to lose? Yeah, no, that was kind of the same thing. I mean, like rolling back to like, there was no pressure on, um, you know, starting painting because I was, didn't have any expectations or anything like that. And then whenever I started Muse, like I never had planned to open up any type of concept in my whole entire life. Like I'd always say like, Hey, I would love to run my own business, but I never took any ounce of thought to what that business might be. And, right. um, you know, essentially I was presented with an amazing opportunity with this uh, piece of real estate. And, you know, I had to essentially, uh, figure out something to do. I think there's like a Richard Branson quote is like, if somebody gives you, um, you know, an opportunity of a lifetime and you don't know how to do it, just say yes and figure it out on the way. So probably butchered that, but, um, essentially that's kind of it in a nutshell. And whenever I was presented with that opportunity with this awesome space, I was like, okay, let me look up some things that I would be interested in. Um, that is art centric because they wanted me to open up a gallery um, and I didn't know how to do any of that. And I was like, I don't think that I'll be good at that. But what I am good at is hosting events, uh, throwing some parties, um, and being kind of friendly with different creatives and whatnot. So, um, I was able to kind of marry those two deals with my passion for art, as well as my prior work experience and sales and events to basically come up with the concept of Muse, which is that shared studio space and event venue here in Fort Worth. So, being able to kind of not be pushed or forced, but essentially nudged in the direction of like, Hey, figure out what to do with this space. Let me know what you think. If I like it, then I'll let you do it. And if I don't like it, then we can figure something else out. So I was like, all right, no pressure. Um, let's just see what we can do. So I literally looked up um, how to write a business model. First thing on Google is like a 10 page or nine. Google's a hell of a tool, isn't it? Oh, Google and YouTube. I mean, you don't need it need to go to, you know, uh, test bank you. So you, you just got those things and it's perfect. So, you know, really just kind of digging into what works, what doesn't work, different revenue streams and everything like that. And then on top of that, being able to provide myself a space to where I could do my personal work along with, um, you know, other people that inspire me and, um, help me, um, you know, kind of do my daily work as well. So, um, you know, it was kind of, an interesting concept and I definitely would never have uh, thought of the idea had not been laid off, um, you know, back in, what was it? Uh, May of 2020, March of 2020, something like that. feels like forever ago. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And so Fort Worth native, I, you had a, I can't remember where I saw this. It was either on one of your sites or in that Q and a, but you called Fort Worth the town of artists and creators. Mm -hmm. And so is that kind of your roots where you came from? Is that kind of what helped spawn the idea? Like when you, you know, I guess there's a lot of ways you could go with, and I'm speaking completely out of ignorance here, but sure. like, it seems like there's a lot of different ways you could go with an art studio or what you wanted it to be, right? You could set up your own personal thing and just do the commission paintings thing. Where did that idea come and how did you kind of formulate it into something tangible? Yeah. So whenever I was starting out painting, I would always go, you know, into my bedroom. I was living with two other guys and, you know, that we had a dog, so I couldn't let any of my stuff just be out in the open. And I wanted to respect their space as well. So, you know, I had a giant 40, you know, four foot by four foot canvas on my easel at home. And basically I was just so crammed and it was super uninspiring, but I was like, I just got to get the work done. It doesn't matter. One day I'll be able to have a, you know, nice garage studio to be able to do stuff. And, 
Um, but basically I started looking on, you know, real, like different real estate, seeing, you know, how much money like a private studio would cost. And it was just outrageous. So I was like, this isn't even worth it. I'm not making enough money to, um, one pay for my rent currently, but to pay my rent for this place, you know, on top of that, it would just be totally out of the question. So, um, that's kind of where it all came from is basically trying to find a space that was affordable, that was inspiring and, you know, um, a space where I could create and then being able to offer the same opportunity that I was given with this affordability aspect of being able to invite other artists and creatives to, um, you know, join me in this kind of journey and just have them have another space to where they can call, um, you know, this space home for their creative endeavors, whatever that might be. So, um, you know, as people in Fort Worth, uh, you know, the, obviously the real estate market's insane right now. And, um, you know, we're keeping our prices the same and that's just the way that it is, um, basically because it's an O day to whenever I first started out. So, um, being able to provide people or creatives, uh, here in Fort Worth with an affordable option that doesn't hinder on their kind of creative ability um, is really gratifying in the sense of being able to, you know, provide something like that, that's unheard of in you know, the DFW area essentially. Yeah. And so I know like we have quite a few Texas DFW listeners. And so like, I, that, that has to serve some purpose in the sense <laughs> that like, so kind of give me like the, the muse, the muse pitch, like it, like it yeah. sounds like it was kind of like that broader version of you painting in your room, kind of imagining something better and giving them an affordable option. Like if you were explaining that, like what it is today, now that you have it up and running, like to someone, how would you describe it to them? Yeah. Um, so I guess like our, our line is like a shared studio and event space specifically designed for artists. So like, essentially we're the creative home base and community in your city, you know, whether you're like a working artist or a photographer or somebody who's an event planner, you know, we want to bring your ideas to life, um, essentially. And that's why we created Muse, um, to be able to, you know, help people with that aspect. Um, we have four private studio spaces, um, totaling over a thousand square feet, a photography studio that's over a thousand square feet and around 3000 square feet of indoor event space, um, that also doubles as like a community workspace and lounge. And then we have another 4,000 square feet of outdoor space to where we can host events, um, you know, and art centered events. So, um, you know, we're not hosting, you know, weddings and sororities and stuff like that we want to do something that's either small business driven like an artisan market or something that's like a gallery event or you know even like a fashion show or something like that kind of all-encompassing comedy show whatever it might be um that's what we want to do we want to make it to where it's essentially everything about um creative um you know, creative exposure, um, especially to anybody who's an artist that's local um, or not local. Um, we, you know, we just want to, you know, have them be able to, you know, essentially do what they want to do with the space um, and not hinder, you know, their creative potential, essentially. You're starting at that time when you have get this up and running off the ground, you're starting a business while also trying to focus on your own art and refine a craft that's still in a relative sense quite new in terms of something you're able to do how did you kind of balance those two things and 
I, I know it was a, a passion project for you in, in starting this. And obviously it's something that's filled a need, like in terms of the community, but like there also is a bunch of just like, you know, bureaucratic tape work that goes into starting yeah. a business. Like, did you ever have days where you're like, what the hell am I doing? Like, how did you kind of get like, I guess, see it through? Cause that would seem a hell of a lot harder than you made it sound. Oh my God. I mean, I'm still talking through all that shit right now. So I mean, it's just a day-to-day thing. Like I'm, like I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm kind of OCD. So my schedule is mapped out from 6.30 to 6 o'clock every single day. So I know exactly what I'm doing. And I only got to that point a couple months ago to kind of balance everything out. And um, sometimes, you know, you got to, I think that I heard this thing like on a meme or a quote or something like that. It was like, you quit your nine to five to work 24 seven. And that's kind of <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, even though I didn't work nine to five before this, but essentially that's what you're doing. But whenever you're working 24 seven on something that you love or that you're passionate about, it doesn't really feel like work. So, but yeah, I mean, like I've had to talk, you know, with the city contracts, lawyers, um, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, never in my, you know, my life did I think that I was going to be 26 years old and having to talk to the city of Fort Worth about, you know, permits and shit like that. And I was just like, but that's the kind of stuff that you have to do to kind of get things either up and going or to fix things. So, um, you know, it just is comes with the entrepreneur person personnel, I guess, is that you don't get to do everything that you want to do that day, but to be able to adapt to and adjust to do the things that you do want to do, you're going to have to just kind of roll with the punches and see what they give you and, um, just keep moving forward. But I mean, like the thing is, is that, um, you know, it, it has not been easy, per se, um, as it might look on Instagram or something like that. So, but it's been well worth it. And I think it will just get easier in time, not easier, but you know, it's going to be coming along the road essentially. Kind of honing it back in wrapping up, like as, as, as far as your personal art goes and what you do and what, you know, you putting, you know, a piece of art together on a canvas or whatever it may be, you know, when in the beginning, it's kind of cool because you have like this base level of confidence of like, oh, shit, like I'm good at this. Like people like what I do. I can like sell these. I'm getting kind of some traction here. But there becomes a time where it becomes like almost and maybe you might not have the same experience, but it's like sure. it becomes almost so like mainstream to where you have enough business to where you want to make. And you mentioned you're kind of OCD to where you want to make everything perfect. How do you reconcile with the fact that like I struggle and I'm sitting on a story right now that I put off for a month where like <laughs> I know when it comes out, it's going to be good, but it's not like the way I want it in my own head. But it's sometimes like particularly writing like game stories on deadline mm. and stuff where you have to have it in within an hour. It's like, dude, this is not going to be like William Shakespeare. You just got to get it out there. Not yeah. that it's not going to be quality. How do you kind of balance that and because everything you paint is not going to be the best thing you've ever painted. I imagine yeah. like, was that a struggle at all trying to just let go and be like, okay, this one's done. Yeah. I mean, the best thing about my work is that I'm following a picture the whole entire time. So I could sit there and essentially understand like, um, I could make this as hyper-realism as possible, photogenic as possible and get the smallest brushes and the perfect strokes and everything like that. But up to a point, um, it depends on one, how much you're paying me for this. And then two, <laughs> how I decide when I'm going to stop is based off of, does the likeness look almost to the point to where it's hyper-realism or teetering on hyper-realism? 
and that's where I kind of stop it at and cap it at, um, you know, and it just kind of depends. And I always share with my clients like, Hey, this is the photo that we're using. Are you good with this? Yes. Here's the first stage of the process. Here's the drawing. Do you like this? Yes. You know, here's the second stage with the underpainting. Do you like this? Yes. Then once I start painting that last painting, you know, I charge 50% up front and then I charge 50% upon delivery. So essentially once I'm done is whenever I feel comfortable enough to where I would say, if they don't pay me for this, will I hang this up in my house? And then that's whenever I'm like, okay, yes. Um, so with, with my kind of work, you know, I give them kind of a decent timeline, like, Hey, you know, this is a six foot by four foot painting. This might take me three months based off of the other stuff that I'm doing right now. It's not going to take me three months to paint this. It might take me, you know, two 24 hour days, but, um, you know, in total time, but at the same time, this is the amount of work that's going to go into it minus the brush on canvas. So it just kind of depends. I mean, like people, the worst thing that people can ask you is like to do something that you're, it's not like your style or something like that. And they're like, yeah, I want to, you know, do this. And I want it in the Picasso style. I'm just like, well, you're coming to the wrong place. It's like, if you want a burrito, you're going to go to Chipotle. And if you want to burger you're gonna go to you know handy andy's um shout out to handy andy's in oxford um but it's just like you know it just kind of depends on what people want and the amount of uh you know detail that i put into it is based off of what they you know are looking for so um but that's kind of it in a nutshell is just basically will i put this on my wall if they decline it i don't think i've no, I haven't had anybody decline it. Usually they're pretty happy about it. So, yeah. How did, real quick, and I'll, I'll let you go as far or as shallow into this as you want to, but like, how do you, like, what was interesting to me is like, how do you decide what the market value is for a certain painting? What goes into that? Like the basics? <laughs> that has always been the question. And um, a lot of people are very interested in that. Um, I don't base my rate off of like an hourly or by like how big it is or anything like that i just base it off of um essentially my skill set and my experience and how long something might take so take for instance somebody who's working a nine to five job you might get a base salary of forty five thousand dollars right and then um you might be bumped up to sixty thousand within the next uh three years so Based off that and the amount of experience, amount of exposure that I've received over the past couple of years, you know, my prices are going to raise. So it just kind of goes into the fact of how many subjects are in there. Um, so if I'm painting one portrait, then that would be a set price. But if I'm painting your whole entire family, you know, that's six different portraits with, you know, a full set of teeth. And are there hands in it? Um, you know, are there feed in it like it, it that all kind of plays into the factor so i usually take on stuff that i know of my base that i can do so if it's like a single subject then i can make sure that it's all done um but it always just kind of depends and you know people want certain things but i always try to do things that i'm interested in to make sure that i give them the best result that they're looking for last thing i have for you is as you've kind of continued on this journey and it's it like it's it's crazy you've like come like such a long way in such a short amount of time in terms of like where you started to now having your own art studio in such a short amount of time how do you balance like obviously you're motivated I mean anyone that listens to this podcast or just talking you can tell that easily how do you kind of like 
I don't know. It feels like you always like, like in life, like if you are successful at something, you let yourself reach a certain point and it's kind of like, okay, I've made it. Like, I'm not going to go hungry and go broke here. Like we're okay. Sure. And then balance that with kind of wanting to see the future of what your studio can be. Do you ever think about that? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that I started at such a late age and I mean, some people have dedicated their whole life to this and, you know, I'm really catching up to a lot of people and, um, you know, just based off of the first thing that I did, you know, the jump from being super inexperienced, not being able to do anything. And then now being able to do essentially whatever I want in that sort of spec spectrum. Um, you know, I think that um, things are starting to move very quickly, especially this year um, based off of the traction that I've got from different galleries and different uh, businesses and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just trying to, say like this isn't as good as it's going to be just keep moving forward and you know see what happens because if not you're still enjoying it so all right so we I, we made all this time we did all of the art stuff i've got to give you an open mic to just blast whatever football takes you on on there because one you're not going to have angry emails on your on like on your message board account so like that that's all cool like i can't just like blast out these hot takes like do you what would outlook on the season and yeah uh do you, um, are you making it back for games i know you're pretty busy like do you try to go back yeah and i might my computer might die i'm on one percent but i'll make it fast um i'm going back to the liberty game um you free we'll tribute go, night <laughs> yeah i think we'll go back uh higher than seven wins i don't know what we'll do but i'm confident in our abilities i mean you know we got another quarterback or our quarterback's coming back so and he's looking really sharp in spring training i've been looking at a few things i'm going to keep it up as much as i'd like to but uh you know we'll see what the uh, the lane train gives us and hopefully uh everybody's on board jacob i really appreciate the time this was fantastic stuff i i, I can't tell you how much i enjoyed this i appreciate it check him out jacoblovitart.com that is want to make sure I have the Muse website right. Createwithmuse.com. Check him out on Instagram, Jacob Lovett Art. Your Muse account is on there as well. This was awesome, dude. I really enjoyed this. I learned a lot, and uh, we will do it again sometime soon. Yeah, man. Don't be a stranger. Let's go grab a beer and watch a game one day. And that was Jacob Lovett. I really appreciate his time. That was awesome stuff. I really felt like I learned a lot. Uh, it's kind of some Kind of different than what we normally do on the pod, but don't let anyone accuse this podcast of not having any range. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Really cool guy. We'll have to do it again sometime. But uh, check out his art. Check out jacoblovettart.com. Check out Muse if you're in the DFW area in particular. Really awesome stuff. Really cool guy. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Another uh, outstanding old Miss alum. We'll be back at it with Mailback Friday. Got Greg on the show tomorrow. So get your grilling questions in. Have a lot of football talk. And we will catch y'all on Friday. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.